Passing Dimes is over the moon to partner with BetStamp. BetStamp is a mobile app in the sports betting space that shows you the odds from every sports book in one spot. Do you enjoy betting on the NHL, the NBA, the NFL, World Cup, or more? With BetStamp, you can compare the best available odds at one sportsbook versus the worst odds at another sportsbook all in one place. Go to the App Store today and download BetStamp for free and use code DIMES, that's D-I-M-E-S. For a limited time, BetStamp is offering you, a friend of the show, an opportunity to learn more about BetStamp and several sportsbooks where you can get an edge in online sports betting. Message the Passing Dimes Instagram or Facebook account for more information. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Passing Dimes. Really excited for today's guest. He grew up in Grand Prairie, Alberta, where he's a provincial champion. He went on to play for Hawaii in the NCAA. He's a Canada Games champion, and he went on to play for our junior national team and an FTC before playing pro in Germany, Estonia, France, and Cyprus. Please welcome to the show, Brooke Sador. Brooke, thanks for doing this, man. What's up, everybody? How are you guys? So doing some research for the show, I actually stumbled across this, and, and I might need you to confirm a few stories, but I heard your dad was an outstanding player and obviously a very strong coach. But uh, I'm wondering, is that what got you into volleyball right away, or were you just into every sport when you were growing up? Wow, first question, I already got goosebumps right here. <laughs> That's uh, that's pretty awesome. Um, yeah, so I've been told by uh, a few people, and uh, Glenn Hogue was one of these guys, that my dad was the best volleyball player in Canada never put on the national team. And that's because of uh, this guy right here. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, my dad and my mom had me when they are um, still in high school. So I kind of maybe stinted a little bit of his plans to go. I don't know. He always says, oh, no, no, like I wouldn't have played anyways. And I, I, mean, I call BS on that all the time. But um, yeah, I've heard from a bunch of different players and coaches that uh, he was pretty legit. Yeah, the one I heard, and, I, and obviously this was in his college days. I'm not sure if you even recall or if you can confirm the story. But somebody told me to ask, he's a CCAA All-Canadian, but they're sure he only played second semester that year. Do you remember the story? Is that true that he won a major award by playing like half the season, if that? Yeah, so I don't know what was going on at the time, but yeah, he didn't play the first semester. And I think, it, again, it's something to do with if he even wanted to, or because he like kind of went in and out playing. And uh, yeah, I, from what I remember, he played, I think it was like four games and was an All-Canadian or something <laughs> ridiculous. And was still like, I think he was in like the top five of kills or something and only played half of the season. Wow, that that story is just amazing. I'm glad you confirmed here. So, so back to you though. Obviously, like obviously coming from a volleyball family, would you say you were part of a good generation? Like you and your buddies just love playing volleyball, or what was the secret going on in Grand Prairie there that you guys were so competitive for? It looks like your whole like uh, high school and club career. So I, this was one of the things that I really wanted to talk about is that um, to me the secret formula to being a good team is to play for as long as you can together. So I started playing uh, U12 volleyball when I was 10, and I played with all those guys until I graduated. So there was there was a core group of us. There was uh, uh, Lucas Stepanko, Travis Banks, and Trent Monagle. Trent kind of came a little bit later. For the majority, we've been playing together since we were like 10, 12 years old and played every, um, every club season. And then once we got to high school, playing high school season, then we played Team Alberta. So like we were playing together for so long. And I believe that you can get from like three guys that are somewhat athletic. Like I wouldn't consider myself a very athletic person, but 
I was like had a, a natural talent for it, obviously. But there was like three of us that played together forever. And one, we were really good buddies. Two, we were passionate about it. And three, we just played more than other people did. So when you get that kind of combination and that kind of accountability where you can tell someone to like figure it out and like start having a better practice. And by the way, like what's, what's swearing? You're, you're okay. I'm yeah. like, okay. <laughs> so yeah, when you can tell someone to get your head out of your ass and then you're like, okay, yeah, I should and not get all hurt about it or whatever, then you're getting to that next level of development faster in each practice. And like right now I'm coaching uh, a bunch, I'm coaching volleyball here in Hawaii um, for, for like uh, 16s and 17s. And there are all these parents always come up and ask and like, well, how did you do it? How'd you do that? And I'm like, well, to be honest, like I, it wasn't just me. It was the help of my teammates and volleyball is everyone thinks it's all well, some in some sorts. It's like very selfish. and Like I got to go and I want to do this and this, but you can't do that without any, other individuals that are like have the same goals as you so that for us to go and compete at such a young age and for such a long time like i played with those guys all year from my freshman year high school till i graduated like it was i was around those guys more than i was around my parents and that's not even like a that's not a joke at all like i was around these kids who had the same goals as me and loved the game as much as me and so therefore it's almost like a a recipe for success. It's. Re- I think it's almost more. It'd be more impressive if we didn't succeed than if we did. If that kind of makes sense, just because we're like so on the same page, pushing each other every single day, and like to me, that's that was kind of the whole key to our success. Now uh, it feels like Alberta always has strong cycles of players. So just for me and the listeners to kind of set the stage for when you guys are winning provincials. Who else is in your age group? Would have been like Riley Barnes. I think you're a little bit older than Brett Walsh. Like who were some of the other schools and clubs you were like battling with? So my grade 10 year, we didn't, there wasn't so much. It was, uh, it was Lethbridge and it was uh, Chris Gilbert. And, uh, and there was, they, but those guys were the, I remember Chris and there was a bunch of other good players on that team, but uh, it was like the same thing, same kind of scenario where they played each other for, or played with each other for quite some time. And then my grade 11 year, uh, we played LCI, same same school in the final at LCI, and that was with um, again not a lot of these players didn't go play post secondary or didn't go do much or they they their careers kind of didn't go as far. I can't, I'm I'm really blank on the names, but there's a, like oh Tom, uh, Tommy Lyon was on uh, that team. Um, yeah, I'm really spacing on a bunch of the other guys, but then yeah, my senior my grade twelve year. Uh, yeah, we played Brett Walsh, Riley Barnes, um, uh, Jeremy Davies, and all those guys in the final. And um, still to this day, that's, the, I think, the best game I might have ever played. I think uh, I was statted. I had more kills in the back row than I did the front row. But uh, <laughs> but then, yeah, we were playing, um, like, Milan Nikic was in that league. Um, we didn't obviously have any real competition in Grand Prairie. I mean, sorry. For if there's anybody that play, I played against in Grand Prairie that's listening to this, I apologize, but let's be honest. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, but uh, yeah, that, that was like our main competition was um, was Brett Walsh and Riley Barnes. Obviously, I mean that's got to be on paper the best high school team maybe assembled. I don't know. Now, with you, you're talking about how long you played with your your teammates and just the trust equity there. 
how did you like to think about the season progressing? Like, were you a big guy saying like, we're, we're going to win a championship? Like, was that a goal at the start of the year? Were you guys just in love with competing and doing your best? Like, well, when you look back at what your squad accomplished, like what, w- which side of the spectrum are you on? Are you guys more process driven or you were like, no, we're going to win the championship. That's what we're do- here to do like every single day. Yeah. So we were very, I'm going to, yeah, we were very arrogant and very cocky at that age. Like we, I'm not going to beat around the bush. Like I, I don't, uh, as an adult now and growing up, I think I would have hated myself in high school or hated the group that I was with because it was like, that was it. If we didn't win, we were, that was it. And we, that was the only goal really that we had. Okay. And when I was a, uh, when I was in grade 10, we were just kind of learning. But then once we had all had that first year of Team Alberta together and the four of us, me, Lucas, Trent and Travis played together and we won um, or whatever it was best of the West or NTCCs or whatever the tournament was called. And then it was like, oh, my God, like we're we're winning. Like, that's it. We're for sure doing it. I think we I think we lost only one game that year to like the Norwegian junior national team. And then the following year, all those guys, like we've graduated like half of our team and everyone says like, oh, you guys are going to suck. You guys aren't going to win anything. And then we go and repeat. And so that was, no, I, I didn't, my senior year, I didn't think that we were going to, because like, yeah, our half of our starting lineup was graduated. So I was a little bit skeptical, but then once we moved on, I got a little bit more confidence. But then, like I said, with the team with Brett Walsh and Riley Byron's on it, it's, uh, you don't, I don't know. You don't really expect to win against those guys together. Like they were, they were living together at the time. They were like obviously future national team prospects. And yeah, that game was like, I don't know, as players, you talk about like flow state. And that was like one of my handful of times where it was like, I could do no wrong. If you ask those guys, I bet that, I mean, they came up to me after the game. And they had some very, very nice words to say. <laughs> Now, let's pull on your comment from earlier because I think it is fascinating that uh, your attack efficiency coming out of the back row. So in that match, were you just in a flow state and you're feeling confident? Was it a good rotation by coach to kind of get you on on a certain left side when you were hitting these C-balls? Like, it's not easy out of serve receive to hit out of these rotations. And in transition, it's not an easy ball to set sometimes, right? So uh, I'm just curious when you think about it, like, how were you being that successful? Um, like I was talking about before, like to me, confidence in volleyball, I think I heard this uh, quote from Eric Soji, actually, um, it's going to be a butchered quote, but he says that he gets confidence in his play because he just has done it so many times. So how could he screw it up? So like when you, when I like volleyball to me, like you take two weeks off, that might as well be a year. Like it's, it's, and for me, when I was in from the ninth grade till I graduated, I wasn't out of the volleyball gym for more than, I think it was like four days. Like that was my longest stretch of being out of the gym. So I was like constantly, constantly, constantly getting reps. So like it, my, at one point, like my confidence was so high and I was in that weird stage of development as a teenager where I thought like I was legitimately the best player on the planet and like no one could touch me. So like when you, like I legitimately thought that. And then, and then Brett uh, went and played Leon in uh in cuba and then i realized i was like okay i'm definitely not even close (laughs) but so like when you have that kind of confidence like i i I always kind of have the self talk about how if i were to have that confidence now or my professional career oh my god i think i would be unstoppable like it was like a give me the ball don't let anyone else touch it i can kind of you set me the ball we're gonna win 
And it was just, it sounds super, I mean, it is super arrogant, but like, I believe at that point, like for those, that stretch of five years, I was the person that got more reps with the best coaches than anyone else. I, I just can't see it even happening like that. Someone else can get more touches on a ball than, than, than I did with the, the great coaching that I had. Like, it's just, when it comes down to that, it, you just got to let the cards like go as they lie. And that's kind of what I did. And then at the end of the game, I was, we won. And so it was, it was, yeah, it was a pretty special moment. Uh, now I know I'm jumping ahead here, but I'm curious cause it is on topic. Uh, just your, your mindset and your approach, because it, it, I love hearing about your confidence because your Canada games year, me being an Ontario guy, I thought Nick Hogue had one of the best individual performances where I think if he's not playing and that tournament's not in Quebec, they don't make the final. But uh, you guys kind of ruined the Cinderella story and Alberta took it down that year. I'm curious, what was it like going through that tournament? Because obviously like BC was strong, Ontario was strong, Quebec was strong and not just Nick, but Nick went off. And then obviously you guys take down the tournament. Did you enjoy the idea of being across the net from a guy who just played World League? Did you guys show up wanting to win the gold medal? Like take me through your Canada games year. Oh my God. Another goosebump moment. Like just, just, just firing right now. Um, but that was one of, like I could have retired after that. Like that was like the most beautiful thing. Apparently, or like obviously Alberta and Quebec, where I think every province has a rivalry, rivalry, rivalry with <laughs> Quebec, and uh, to play there against Nick, someone that like I look up to, and and then it, with Glenn in the in the stands, and like eight or whatever, how many thousands of Quebec people were there? That was like that was just beautiful, and the way that we did it, and just kicked the crap out of him, like. It was so special, like, but like again, those are some of the guys that I've played with for so long, and to me, it was almost a blessing in disguise because the previous year, that's when I played on the junior national team, and I didn't even get to try out for the team because the the tryout was during my finals at UH, and they're just like, well, sorry, and I was like, that's it. You're not even gonna like. That's it. They're like, no. If you're not a tryout, you can't. You can't play. So I'm like, so you're telling me you would rather me skip finals and go to your tryout? They're like, well, no. That's your own decision. I'm like, whatever. If you're just not gonna be on the team if you're not here. And I was like, okay. Like, damn. We see how it is, I guess. So then, yeah, I got to try out for Team Alberta and go to the Canada Games. And I honestly think that that was, like I said, a blessing in disguise because that was the best most fun tournament with just a beautiful group of guys. And again, icing on the cake, beating Nick in Quebec. Like, just come on, tell me some, tell me something that would be like more, would feel more better. Like as that kind of rivalry. And yeah, like I said, or like you said, coming from straight from world championships, I think that was our key to winning because if he was fresh and had fresh legs, I don't know if that, I mean, we, we still would have won, but let's <laughs> like, I'm trying to be a little bit um, on the nicer side, I guess. But uh, he, 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 it was just ridiculous. Like, cause we played that French team or sorry, that French, that, that Quebec team, uh, like a bunch of years. Cause we've been playing team Alberta for like, I, since I was in grade nine. And so those guys were not uh, unfamiliar to us and they had great players, but then Nico comes from world championships like I'm pretty sure he was starting and he's already dead. And that guy got every single ball as he should, but still there was guys on their team that were legit. 
Like they were really good, and he was just getting every single ball. So, yes, he was dominating, but with our defense and like our blocking, I think was the best thing that separated us from different teams in that tournament. And so we just focused on him as we should, and we were able to at least contain him a little bit. Uh, he still went off, but we were able to touch a couple of those key balls and then just transition them, and then yeah, pretty quick win in three on that one. Yeah, you, you kind of touched on it earlier. I just want to bring it back to that story. The gym was full. It was probably over capacity. So how fun is it like to quiet a crowd like that? Because I, like I said, the crowd was influential where I'm I'm obviously a bit of a homer. I don't think Quebec beats Ontario if that tournament isn't in Quebec and those guys are going off. So what's it like just the mood in the gym going into the final where I'm sure, you know, the first 15 points is probably just banana lands in there, but then you guys just quiet them down, right? For us, it was just like, this is what we signed up for. This is what we wanted. If we didn't play Quebec in the final, maybe we're, I mean, no, like we would still be motivated to play Ontario or BC or whatnot, but this is what we wanted to play these guys that we had a rival with, that we weren't super friendly with, with the national team starter, with the national team coach's son and like all of these kinds of things aligned. And I just remember we were, uh, they didn't have locker rooms. They had like, they had like little sectional like tents with like curtains or whatever. And uh, at the time the, the song was uh, Hey Brother by Avicii. And so we had uh, we had a stereo gone and we're just, Hey brother. And we could hear the French guys right next to us. And they're trying to play with some of their music. And so we were having like a, no one can see each other's face, but we're trying to like get each other more riled up. And so they're playing their French music and we're playing our techno and whatever. So it was like, it, from the game, from the first point, is like, okay, let's go. Like, what do you guys? To me, there, I don't even remember there being lots of nerves. Like, there's, like you said, in the first 15 points, just kind of chaos. But I don't remember it like that. I remember it like we stepped on the court and it was like, it's business. It's time to go. We get a job to do, and we're not going to be satisfied until the job is done. And like I talk with the kids that I coach now, it's like, how long can you keep your focus for? And I feel like if you were in that scenario, we could have lasted hours. Because it was just like that was our goal as a team and that's what we wanted to do we were all like really good friends and super driven and super passionate and bottom line just wanted to beat nick Hogue. <laughs> yeah it's such a great story man so just to circle back i am curious uh going through the high school scene and the club scene when did the ncaa become an option for you like were you looking at anyone in canada west or just uh U sports or cis in general or were you always kind of looking that if you had an opportunity to play in the ncaa you were going to take it so this is one of the best stories that I have to, to teach or to tell anyone. So a week before I leave to UH, my dad, we, my dad coached me from when I was 10 to, I think, I think he stopped, we stopped um, doing it at like 16. Cause then like our relationship, like once you get too old and you're coaching father, son, like as fiery as me and him are, like we couldn't do it anymore. Like Brad, I think got coached by his dad for a long time and they're a little bit more, uh, relaxed but me and my dad like it was he's still my best friend like I love the guy but like I like it would be like we'd almost get in fistfights in practice like it was it just got to a point where it was too much so anyways he uh, he would make us do goals at every season starting from when I was 10 years old all the way up to 18 three academic three life three volleyball goals every year and so a week before I leave to go to UH he brings out this, this, uh, oh, I can say this now because you're Canadian, a duotang. You know what a duotang yeah. is, right? <laughs> of course. They don't know what that is here. Oh, so no What way. are you talking about, duotang? 
So I'm, I always have to go, oh, like my, my notebook or whatever. So he brings out this dude tag and he goes, do you, does this look familiar to you? I'm like, no, like, what is that? Like, it's like an old one, whatever, whatever. He goes, these are your goals that you made um, when you were 10 years old. And the first academic goal was to go to the University of Hawaii. Unbelievable. A little bit sidetracked, but then uh, after I proposed to my wife, he shows me the same dude tank. And I, I totally forgot about it because this is four or five years later. And he goes, do you remember this? I was like, no, what is that? And he goes, look at your first life goal. My first life goal was to marry a super hot Hawaiian surfer chick. <laughs> <laughs> I can't make that up. Like, it's, it, I tell that story all the time. It's so beautiful, but it's like the power of writing it down, the power of goal setting, all that stuff. Um, so, which is weird because we had really no ties to Hawaii at the time. Like, when I, that was, I don't know, when you're in 10th grade, what? Or when you're 10 years old, what grade are you in? I'm not sure. But in the seventh grade, my dad moved to Hawaii. So I got a little bit of taste of here. So it kind of moved me a little bit closer and at that age. But yeah, the how I got recruited was it was, I mean, I always wanted to go play in the US or Alberta. It was like the US or U of A because my my dad and and, and Terry are pretty good friends and I kind of grew up at the U of A fundraisers and this and that so i don't know i already had a really good connection with terry and it was kind of like an unspoken agreement that i was going to go there and then and i go to jo's um in atlanta junior olympics in like the tournament in the u.s and we play and whatever and my how how the whole that whole thing how i got recruited kind of by them was so the gym setup was the open division was on one side and the club division was on the other side. And to make the open division, you got to go qualify, right? You can't just sign up for the open division. And so we were obviously in the club division. We're not going to go to the U.S. twice. It was more like kind of a fun thing, maybe get recruited, go try something new. And so the coach at the time, who is now the head coach for Pittsburgh, uh, for the women's side, uh, Dan Fisher, he was the assistant coach at the time and saw a ball go boom to the roof and was like, hmm. That's interesting. And just slowly started to like walk over there and just saw me continue. Like this is, and this was in warm up. So I'm just balancing balls because in the US, it's not really a thing. Like hitting 53s in warm up is not a thing. And in Canada, it's like everyone who has seen that Pac Man hitting warm up video back in like whatever is like bouncing. Like I'm like, I am motivated to bounce. And so whatever comes, watches my game and then. He, he notices whatever is going on in the game, but I get a massive kill. And then I go back to the service line. And I'm, if you've watched me play, you know, like I'm just a, just an animal in terms of celebrations. Like I'm just like, I wear it on my shoulder. I'm very passionate. So I get a big kill going crazy, go back to the service line and then just do one of these. And then just rip a spencer. And he talks talk to me all the time. He's like, that's when I knew that you were, you're mature beyond your years. Yeah, you were a, you had a live arm, but you're going nuts. Slow it down. Take that deep breath. He goes, that was like enough for me. Um, so to kind of keep going on the path of the story, um, we play NAVC in the final, another Canadian team. And that's with uh, Jackson Maris and Dave Ponich and um, I forget his name, Blake. Blake, I forget his last name. Blake Hinchy. So a very good team, a guy that we I lost every AVA in the quarter or in the semifinal to these guys. And we made like an unofficial Team Alberta. 
minus those guys because they want they were already going so like we had riley barnes like that was like i remember calling riley and he was like a he was really a, not like a nobody at the time like he was like a physical kid from uh where's he from oh he's from like a like it makes grand prairie look like a massive city shoot i'm gonna forget where he's from anyway so i call him up after one tournament my dad's like we need another middle and he's like what about that kid so i i don't know somehow find his number i'm like hey riley it's Brooke. He's like. Like, what do you, he's like, what do you want? Like, why are you calling me? He's going like, do you want, do you want to go to junior Olympics? Like, um, like an unofficial team of bourbon. He's like, yeah, done. Boom. Click. End of story. So like we had, we had him, we had a couple of Grand Prairie boys. Uh, we had, uh, John Gorenson on that team. Um, just a wicked team of beauties. And so anyway, but we had, I, th- I don't even think we had a practice together. I think we had half a practice and I think Terry ran it, which was super random. So I think it was like me, Brett. Riley, Harry, and maybe another one of the Grand Prairie boys. So we're motivated to kick NABC's ass. Obviously, we're in the final of Junior Olympics. Like, this is huge. This is like, this is awesome. We end up losing. And at that time, I had lost like three games and maybe two years. So, like, I was not used to it. And so I acted like pretty arrogant shit. Um, so at the end of JOs, that's like when it's the legal time to talk to the players. I was sitting there with my head in between my legs, my dad next to me, and then a line of probably 10, 10 different coaches just waiting to talk to me. And I'm not hearing any of it. I like, I'm not hearing any of it. I'm being like a super disrespectful little shit that is like not appreciative of like these guys talking to me. And it's like, cause I'm just so mad and, over dramatic and just being a just not a, a good sportsman at that point and so like a bunch of different uh schools come in and give me like whatever their offer was and then hawaii came and i think they were the last one and they ended up giving me the biggest scholarship offer which was like around uh it was 85 percent. and i don't know if you know in the ncaa they give around four and a half or they don't give around they give they're allowed to give four and a half full ride scholarships so like in my time I never knew of anyone getting a full ride. So I was pretty much getting offered a full ride to UH. And I really don't even remember the conversation. And my dad, as patient as he is, which I don't think he should have been, was just waiting for me to kind of figure it out. So in the next two weeks to follow, uh, Dan Fisher, the UH coach at the time, was calling me three times a day, morning, uh, lunch, and night, every day, three times a day. How, how are, we, are we closer? Are we closer to getting there? Like, what's going on? And I am like, I'm talking, I'm not being an asshole at this point, but I'm like, I don't know, like still thinking about the loss and kind of dicking around. And because at the time, Terry still hadn't given me like a verbal offer. So coming back to that, like, oh, it was kind of like an unspoken thing that I was going to go. I hadn't given me an offer. And I don't know if I was kind of waiting for it just to be like, oh yeah, I got it or whatever. But at one point, my dad comes into my room and just starts yelling at me. He's like, what are you doing? I'm over this. This is so stupid. I've been so patient with you. How have you not made this decision yet? This is ridiculous. Terry is going to be there your whole life. If you don't like Hawaii, you know, Terry, you're going to, you can go right there. So what's the problem? This scholarship, this offer could be gone tomorrow. Wasting so much time. These guys like are, have, like it's Hawaii. How can you not recruit there? Like, they're going to go find someone. They're going to replace you. And you're not going to have your shot at your dreams. And I was like, holy cow. 
yeah. Like that was just like, boom, realized, called him. I'm like, I'm in, let's go. And, and so obviously so stoked. And then, and then that was my great, that was like the summer of going into grade 12. And so U of A hosts like their, their, their high school tournament. And I think it's like the first weekend of like the school season. And I go there and the word gets out and Terry's just like, what the hell, man? I was going to give you the tour of the whole campus. I was going to give you your shirt. You're like, whatever. I was going to meet. I don't know if like there's things to sign at that age or in that time, but he's like, he was pissed. I'm like, Terry, like, I didn't even know you really wanted me. Like you didn't, you never verbalized like, Hey, I want you at my school. Even though I was seeing him two, three times a year, we're talking about this kind of stuff, but it kind of came down to a little bit of a little bit of miscommunication, I guess. And Obviously, I would never. I mean, if Terry ends up seeing this, I think he would agree that I made the right decision because, I mean, I have my wife and my life here, and without them, like that's like that was that's why I had these goals at such a young age. It wasn't to go play volleyball; it was to beat this one girl, and I wouldn't change that for anything. Yeah, that's so cool to hear. So I am curious. Getting to Hawaii, I checked the roster. I think Steve Hunt, another Canadian there, even though he's an Ontario guy, was there. Uh, it's not unusual to have more internationals. Like, I think you played with Henrik Moll, who's having a great career on the beach. Like, was that a little bit comforting having other international guys? Because like you said, as a Canadian going to the U.S., I mean, Duotang's different. They're probably making fun of certain words you say. Like, I think, like, we drink milk out of a bag. They have cartons. Like, there's so many just, like, different lifestyle things. And then, then to add it in, now you're an island guy in Hawaii. So I'm sure the lifestyle is just even more different there. So were, did you feel comfortable right away because it was a goal since you were 10 years old? Or did those other international cats just make you feel, like, not out of place with all your American teammates? So having Steve there was awesome. Um, and just a quick side note of, of uh, with Hendrick. I actually played Hendrick in high school at the Spruce Grove International Tournament. <laughs> and he remembers blocking me on match point. And it was crazy. <laughs> like, uh, like it was so funny. And I didn't even recognize him when he came into the gym. He goes, what's up? I'm like, oh, hey, what, how you doing? Like, my name's Brooke. He goes, I know who you are. I'm like, oh, okay, sorry. Like, why? He goes, bro, I played against you. I blocked you on match point in the Spruce Grove, Spruce Grove International. I was like, What? No way, like such a small world. But um, so that was kind of a cool moment. But having Steve there was very good because immediately, like Canadians outside of Canada are like immediately bonded. Like, I don't think Americans are like that. Like, if you go across whatever and you're like, hey, I'm American, they're like, okay, whatever, I don't really care. But if someone like sees a tattoo or like sees like my like Canadian tattoo and they're like, oh, you're from Canada, it's like, I immediately am like, okay, let's talk. Um, so with Steve there, we're like immediately brothers. Like he helped me through so much stuff. And, but like you said, it was it comfortable. No, it was not comfortable at all. I had insomnia my first two weeks. I like was like hallucinating in class cause I wasn't sleeping. It was brutal. I was like homesick. The team, like I came in guns blazing first practice. I pointed at Steve. I'm like, I'm coming for your starting spot. Like I was that little freshman that was like calling out all the seniors for not working hard and like really pushing everyone's buttons, thinking that they would appreciate it because whatever. But they're like, no, 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 no. You, this is not your role right now. So in the first couple of weeks, like I was not really vibing with it. And, and, um, with the coach at the time or coach now, me and him didn't see eye to eye for four years. Like first, first couple of practices, me and him were really close to each other, like nose to nose, screaming at each other, like, 
a difference of opinions. And I'm not necessarily going to get into that, whether who's right or who's wrong or whatnot, but it was not a very comfortable situation. So a little bit of uh, this is something that I had in my notes that I wanted to talk about because uh, I was actually, after my first month, I was over it. So over it. I'm calling Milan, Nick gets all the time, venting. I'm like, dude, I'm over this. Like, this is not what I signed up for. This, this is not what I thought this was going to be. He goes, well, like, are you looking to like transfer? Like, what's going on here? And I'm like, frick, I don't know. I don't know if I want to do this or that, whatever. And then I get a, a, a text message from uh, Richard Schick, uh, the coach at the time when I was there. And he goes, I hear about your problem. Is there, and he's also another family friend, like him and Terry. And my dad were friends from back in the day. So it wasn't like this random coaches is messaging me. So it was like, can I help? Like kind of alluding to like, can you come to my school? Like, can you, do you want me to try and see if I can get you in the door here? And to be honest, like I am not very academic. I was, I'm just been volleyball crazy. My ball, my whole life has just been volleyball, volleyball, volleyball. So I was like, I don't know. Like UBC is a really good school. Like there's no way I'm getting in there, but I'm like, yeah, yeah, sure. Like, let's see. Let's see. I'm, I'm, I'm open to the idea. And at the time, then it kind of got more and more serious. Milan was living with a couple of my other good buddies, um, with like, like Ben Chow and Quentin Schmidt. They're all living at, I think they called it the bird house or something. And they're like, dude, you could live here. You could live. We have an extra room. It seemed like everything was like fit into place. I'm like, Oh my God, I'm going to play with my best friends. I'm like over this Hawaii situation, blah, blah, blah. And then I met Keola, my wife. And so it, it was pretty new and then whatever, what it just like as relationships go, I came home for winter break. I come back and I get a call from Rick, uh, Richard, sorry. And he goes, you got in, you got into UBC. Like I was like, no freaking way. He goes, yeah, dude, I had to pull all these kinds of strings, but blah, 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 blah. Like you want to come be, uh, uh, what are they? Are they Thunderbirds? They are What's Thunderbirds. Yeah. Yeah. You want to be a Thunderbird or what? Like, all stoked. Like, I'm about to just be like, yeah, dude, let's go. And then I go, Shaq, I met this girl. He goes, shut up. No. What are you talking about? Are you really going to do this? I was like, dude, like, I think she's the one. And he goes, she better be. And he's like, not really mad, but he's like, just grilling me. Like, what are you, like, what do you mean? Like, this is, this is not what I was expecting. And, uh, so after I proposed to her, he, I, he calls me up again. He's like, dude, that's the most ballsy thing. Like, that's amazing. He goes, I was for sure thought I was going to be getting a call back from you being like, please let me back or whatever. Um, so yeah, I was enrolled in UBC. And uh, so another kind of just crazy side story. But yeah, like you said, it was not comfortable. You would think you come to Hawaii and it's just like paradise. I mean, it is. Now it is. Now it's so effortless to live here. And it's just amazing. But like at the time, like it was just a different group of dudes. Like they're, I appreciated Canada Canadians so much more after I left because I played with a bunch of California dudes and guys from Arizona and this and that. And I mean, I love them. And, but I also don't love them at the same time. They're not the same. It's not like the same kind of love and respect that we have for each other in Canada. And maybe it was just cause I was so comfortable with playing with, the same like 20 to 30 guys for years because it was like my club team was the same for pretty much the whole time my high school team was obviously pretty similar my team alberta team was also very similar so i didn't really get to play 
outside of those guys that much. But I, I, I mean, yeah, it was a bunch of a lot of different things. But then once I settled down and once I got a little bit more comfortable with the guys, it was a little bit easier. But never really got comfortable with the coach there. Another story that I had was um, uh, my freshman year, I was a serving sub, which is, I mean, expected like to come in. But I, at the end of the year, I was still top 10 in aces somehow by being a serving sub. And so I'll, usually it would happen probably once or twice a week, me and my coach would kind of get into it. And at one point, I was just like over it. And I'm like, dude, if you want to give away my scholarship next year, then do it. Do it. Like shake on it. And we shook on it. He shook on if I wasn't starting the next year that he was going to give my scholarship away. And so at the time I was playing, like I got recruited as an outside. Like I wasn't playing right side at the time and a random game. We're playing long beach at long beach and it's a pretty rugged environment. And uh, Taylor Crabb is back to serve. And uh, coach just looks down and he's like, sub one. And I'm like, okay, like, let's go. And uh, he's like, you're going in as opposite. I was like, what? Like, this is what, what are you doing? Kind of thing. And he goes, you're going to go past the short serve. And we're in rotation two, so I'm getting uh, pushed up um, by a setter. And so he backs me up and he's like, trying to, he wants me to serve the short ball. And I'm like, okay, like, whatever. Taylor knows I'm a friend or knows I'm a guy that doesn't play. He does this weird, he, I mean, he's got every serve in the book. Like, he does lots of different things in the game. So he's serving from position five, but he's like standing outside the court and tosses his spin serve inside the court, like hits a cross body roll shot right in front. And I was like, holy shit, like this guy is like no joke. I remember, I'll remember that forever. He just stares at me, like gives me a point. I was like, holy cow, that was very impressive. Um, but then from that point on, I never came off the court as the right side. And just kill it, filled that spot that we needed. And I guess you could give it, give credit to that coach, but I mean, I'm going to give all the credit to myself because I'm just an absolute stud. <laughs> I'm glad to hear that you weren't uh, trained as a right side. Cause one of the questions I had on my notes, just watching your highlight tapes, it looks like you almost approach full speed to one, but then you can still hit the ball down the line. Cause if you like a pretty unique arm swing, but like most guys, when they hit that shot, they're almost like carving it or it's off speed back down the line. It looks like you're hitting it at full speed. So did that shot come naturally? Cause it looks like you're approaching to like one, six or one, but then you can still light up the guy in five. So when did you know you could hit that shot or have you had that since you were a kid? Genetics. That one is, <laughs> <laughs> that was my dad's shot. So that was one that we worked on a lot at a young age and, Still like that. I mean, we, me and my coaches would get into arguments because they're like, you got to hit cross court. I'm like, no, I'm hitting the line. I'm going off the hands. Like, I'm going to the line every single time. And they'd be like, no. I'd be like, watch this. Watch me not get stopped once. And it was just like a constant kind of jokingly, but they were like, dude, you got to like hit. It's not like I didn't hit it, but like, I bet if you were to stat my shots, I bet I was, I'm going to say close to 80% down the line. And it's just comfortable and it's just a weird kind of thing to block because even if you're straight up and I hit you at that angle, I'm still going to block out. So it was like very, very simple at one point. But yeah, that shot was, uh, I remember seeing a video of my dad and he just does the same thing and just bounces it. And I was like, and we, I mean, he, he trained that to me to the T, like just, we're going to do this all the time, all the time, all the time, thumb down, thumb down take a rip don't like take anything off of it um so yeah that's funny that 
someone else kind of realizes this. <laughs> now, do you think it's because you hit it from such a young age that like eventually like your shoulder slot was comfortable there? Because I think a lot of young athletes, if they really exaggerate the thumb down, like it can lead to some shoulder pain. Like it's not a very natural movement for your shoulder sometimes. So you, you mentioned genetics or maybe like repetition or was it just something like, did you ever have shoulder problems? Never. No, I never had any kind of problems. I never had any injuries, but well, okay, let me let me kind of backtrack up. When I was 16 U, I played in a tournament, and like there was eight guys on my team, and uh, so like I'm already getting high volume of balls. So there's a point where my back, like at the end of the tournament, I collapsed, and like my back was sore, but it wasn't injured. It was just like overuse. So after that tournament, I was like, yeah, I got to make a change. I got to do something. And then I started. That's that's kind of when the yoga phase kind of was starting to start like lululemon was kind of big and everyone's starting to think that yoga wasn't just like something that like hippies do or whatever so there was actually like a a hot yoga in grand prairie that just started and i fell in love with it so i was going like two three times a week and to me that just kind of set the the tone for how i was going to be recovery wise moving forward so like that's what i tell all the kids i'm like you can't like i at the time i could put my hand my my palms flat on the ground standing straight up and some of these kids can't even touch their toes i'm like how do you think you're gonna play like how do you think you're gonna weight lift and not stretch and play volleyball and not get injured like it's just not possible um so i don't going back to that i, I think that has a lot of uh, a credit to it is just covering tons and just being really flexible um but then just like you said, at a young age, just always hitting it, always just going, going, going. So maybe it's kind of a combination of like all of it together, I would say. Nice, nice. So your, your number starts getting called in Hawaii. And, I, and I'm curious, I've only seen it. I've never experienced it in person, but it's got to be a pretty special place to say. And the reason I say that, or a special place to play, excuse me. And, and the reason I say that is I think California has a reputation for being really popular for men's volleyball. But then when you start looking into like the Outrigger Canoe Club, or you look at the the venue you guys play in and the amount of seats available and the size of crowds you get for men's volleyball in the States, like, was it pretty unique when you're playing really well and there's lots of crowds? Like, are you getting recognized on campus or can you go to the grocery store? Like, is it a pretty cool vibe where like uh, we had Leah Monkhouse on the show and when she played beach there, like little kids are coming up to after the game wanting to take pictures. Like that has to be a really cool vibe, right? It's the coolest vibe. <laughs> it is pretty unbelievable to go to the grocery store and have a line in aisle five to get your autograph. Like I, after we were, we, I think it was my junior year, we were ranked first for, I think it was like eight weeks, eight weeks straight. We were ranked number one in the nation. And I was a celebrity. Like I, it was nuts. Like I autographs everywhere. Like it was to the point where I'm like asking my wife to go and get stuff for me. Cause I didn't want to go to the store cause I just didn't have time. And like, I'm never, I would never the guy to be like, oh, like turn down and no one, like how dare I, right? Like you, volleyball players getting asked for their autographs. I was like, yeah, let's go. You want like, where's your family? You want me to do a video? Like what, what else can I do for you? Like, so I, it would take quite some time. And I remember, um, I think we played, we were on the road playing SC and that was to get, like we beat them and then we were number one. And so we get home later, whatever. Like, I mean, this is on character. I show up to a class late and it's a pretty big one. And um, I show up and I'm trying to like not get in trouble or whatever. And I walk in and everyone stands up and starts clapping. 
I'm like, what's going on? What just happened? I'm looking around and there, the, 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 the teacher at the time was just like a big volleyball fan. He goes, hell yeah, Brooke, good job. And I didn't even know this guy knew my name. Like I had no idea. And the whole class is just clapping for me. I'm like, what the absolute, this is insane. And it was probably a class of like 100, 120 people. Like it's not a small one, not like some 10, 20 people. Like I was like, holy cow, this is, this is pretty surreal. Um, but then that's all one thing about just like, just like kind of not the, the fame or whatever, but just the Hawaiian people, like they, they love volleyball. Like I believe like it's, they love it. Like it's, I don't know how to explain it. Like, yeah, football is really big here, but no one, like it's not the same. Like people genuinely care about what you do for the state of Hawaii. And when, especially when you go and win, like, I mean, we're my freshman year, we were the worst team in Hawaii volleyball history. We had three wins the whole year, just terrible. And so to see someone or to for have people that actually care that you change the program and whatever, is just crazy. Like even today, I still get stopped. Not, it's not, it's maybe it's once a month, but still people are like, wait, you're Brooke. Whoa. Can, can you send a message to my daughter? Can you do this or whatever? I'm like, of course, like it's it's pretty cool. And then like when I go back and watch games, it's it's also very very like I went and watched the, the girls at their senior night um like a couple weeks ago and like just people were like looking around, but they're so unsure because not at UH I, I we weren't allowed long hair or any facial hair. So we had to cut our hair and shave all the time. So they're like kind of looking, they're like, Brooke? I'm like, yeah, I'm like, oh my god, oh god, go. And so uh, yeah, it's a uh, feeling because i know like i could have played for more i could have won four national championships at the university of alberta and whatever and never no one in the edmonton really gives a shit they'd be like well i don't care like whatever sweet good for you thanks <laughs> now do you think your playing style uh really helped the fans like get behind you because uh sometimes I think volleyball, we, we try to be like so even keel and we don't want to have the ups and downs where like you, you mentioned earlier, like when you rip an ace, you celebrate. When you get a block, you celebrate. So uh, obviously like it, it's easy to be on your side and you play an entertaining style. But I'm curious, how do you not have emotional spikes or energy spikes or like if you're going to get really high when things are going well, did you get down on yourself when things weren't going well? Like how, how did you manage this? Because like I said, it, it's an awesome style, but I, I don't see too many players pulling it off as well as you did. <sighs> This is a great question because I'm in this conundrum about how I want my players to play because like, I, I completely agree with you. Not many players can be as, and I use this all, I, I teach like uh, coach really young kids, like from six to eight. And I use the word psycho. Like I was like, coach Burke was a psycho. Like I was psychotic. I would run around and be nuts. And I'm, it's kind of like a touch and feel, I think kind of thing. Like if you got the energy, you got to let it out. But if you're like a, a really passive kid, like you can't expect that person to go and be all crazy. But I think my playing style wasn't, there just was no thought about what I was doing. I know that sounds ridiculous, but like when in, ter in terms of celebration or I just loved it. And when you put 7,000 people around me clapping then that psychotic, little bit wild kid goes and turns into like, I don't know how many times like little innocent children would be like, is there something wrong with you? Like, are you, are you crazy? 
all the time. I'd be like, I mean, yeah, I'm just, I'm just, uh, my response would be like, I'm just crazy for volleyball. Like, I really like it. So obviously I had lows. Like, it's not like I, but I wasn't like to the point where I would be like questioning my, my style or questioning like if I'm good at volleyball. You know what I mean? Like, I, I was just like, oh, I'm having a bad day. Tomorrow I'll wake up, do the exact same thing. So, yeah, I've been trying to, even with my dad and different coaches, they're like, well, do you think that's a good way to play? Because my favorite basketball player of all time, well, maybe not of all time, but is, is Kawhi Leonard. And that guy is zero motion, no nothing. no Like, it's boring to watch him. And I get, I'm just like amazed by it because this is kind of what we're talking about, about is it sustainable? And to me, if you're like that, that's really sustainable. You don't just do anything and you're just like, just straight face. To me, on paper, that looks a lot more repeatable than what I do. But I also think I'm having way more fun. <laughs> and to me, isn't that what it's all about? Is like how much fun can you have on the volleyball court, playing with your friends and competing and going through tough things and overcoming them? So if you do all those and you're like, just go all out, like to me, it, like it's a no brainer. Are you going to do a power knee slide after you get a big block? Or are you going to do nothing? Like one is to me, it's just clearly way more fun. And it has nothing to do with like shit talking or look at me. Like, hi, well, look at this guy. I go crazy. It's just, it's just a reaction. It's just a reaction. And so there, maybe that's why I could have, or I kind of made it my own and went with it. Cause that's just who I was like, and it's who I am. Even like when, even when kids or when I'm coaching now, I try so hard to be like calm, collective, and that coach that's just standing there. And but someone does something awesome, I like it goes out the window. I'm like, yeah, like, that's amazing! Oh my god! And like go celebrate them because it's just like, just I'm not trying to be someone that I'm not. So yes, I'm trying to be calm and this and that, and teach the kids about the right flow that you should have with your energy during the game, but. Like, like I have some kids that are just like me. They're just like, and I'm not trying to put a halt to it at all. And then there's some kids that are just really quiet. And I said, I try to tell them like, you don't need to be loud, but you need to have like loud body language. And you cannot, it's not okay for your player or your, your teammate to go do something amazing. And then you just go give them a high five. Like this says a lot. If you can go do that, that's awesome. So you don't like, I'm trying to create a lot of energy on the court, but it just kind of depends on the team and the players that you have, whether you can be a bunch of like crazies or not. And uh, the other thing I had in my notes here is just, uh, I want to know the behind the scenes of the proposal story. Like how did you get uh, gutsy enough to do that on court? Uh, was she on board with a public proposal like this? Like, obviously it's a great story, but uh, did you almost talk yourself out of it before it happened? So, um, Along with those goals that I made, it was like a joke with me and my dad since we were growing up. Like, oh, I should propose on senior night. That'd be really cool. Whatever. So it was like, it was really a no-brainer that that's how I was going to propose. Like, which just sounds super strange, but no, not what our, everyone always asks like, oh, well, did you win the game? I said, yes. Like, well, if you would have lost, would you have done it? And I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know the answer to that. Um, so like, it was just amazing. Like 
surreal moment. Like the last serve, I go back on senior night, I go back and I do one of these and get everyone to clap and I go and rip an ace. And it was just like, just like such a surreal moment. So like another flow state kind of thing, but getting her, um, well, she had no idea. Like she had absolutely no idea. And it's funny because I thought it was like the coolest thing that I could have done. And then like it, it was actually like pretty recently, like maybe a couple years ago, we talked about it. She goes, I didn't like that at all. I was like, what? What do you mean? Like, she goes, Brooke, it was all about you. Spotlight was on you. It was you. It was you. Like, what do you mean? Why? Like, she goes, I don't mean to hurt. Like, I still said yes. So it's like, whatever. But like, I didn't like it. I was like, oh, sorry. Like, I totally like, was like, Paul I'm like, I didn't know that. Like she's like, yeah, I would have really liked to to just be like, we're on the beach. You just like nothing even like super like big in plans. You just like here, want to marry me kind of thing. But whatever, she said yes, so she can live with that. <laughs> <laughs> nice. So uh, moving on from Hawaii, obviously, like you, you win some All American awards, you win some conference awards. You choose to go pro before going to FTC, which isn't usually the order a lot of other athletes, at least who play CIS, do. So uh, I'm curious, what was the order of getting the agent, getting a pro offer? Like, uh, was playing professionally in Europe a big goal of yours growing up as well? Oh, yeah, since I realized that you could get paid to play. I was like, that's what I'm doing. Um, so a little bit of a side story. Um, I told you about uh, playing Long Beach and getting subbed in and never coming off the court. Uh, um since then, the only time I didn't start since then was our last game in the NCAA final. Uh, my coach, who I didn't really see eye to eye with, he made a call that our fourth outside, not even our right side, our fourth outside, who was given, he was a very good blocker, really good blocker, but never played right side. His idea was that this guy was going to go in and stop Aaron Russell and win us the game by blocking him which is not possible. Aaron Russell, I think, is the best NCAA offensive player or best NCAA player maybe ever to play the game. And so the day prior, like, we didn't find out until the day before in the servant pass, and I ended up going, having a one-on-one meeting with him. I'm like, dude, this is what I've been training my life for. This is this is, this is, this is the moment. you got to trust me. Like, I've done everything and everything for you. We, like, I do things I don't even want to do just because, like, we weren't, really seeing eye to eye all that much. And uh, so he's just like, nope, sorry, this is what I'm doing. Halfway through the game, we're getting crushed. And he comes to the bench and just yells at me. He goes, Brooke, the team is uncomfortable without you on the court. I'm like, oh my God, no shit. Put me in the game. Let's go. So he subs one. We win that set and then he's in four. So after the game, I didn't talk to him for two years. I didn't talk to any of the coaching staff. I was beyond pissed. I was like depressed. I was like, this is the moment that I've literally been training for. And you just took it away from me because you want to be a good coach or you want the spotlight to be on you because you're making these crazy things. Like, I don't know. I've obsessed over this for a long time. It's just, it's almost like traumatic when I talk about it because it was just like that moment that I had to go and win and do something that like I've, yeah, I've been training for my whole life and that to be taken away was tough. So, to kind of get on your story is my assistant coach, Milan Zarkovich, is like, I don't know if you know much about him, but he's a volleyball god. 
like he's written books on volleyball. He's coached like world champions, like every team that I played on overseas, I would have meetings with the head coach and the president about him. Like, what was he like? What drills did he do? It was never about like, hey, we want you to do the blues. Always about blah, blah. So he is like one of my regrets is in my career is doing what I did and acting so salty about that, which I don't know if I could go back and, and, and not do that because it's just the worst thing in my ball ball career that someone could have done to me. Anyway, so this guy, like, he could have got me literally any contract that I wanted. And I could have went D1 Italy. I could have went anywhere. Like, all the players that went through him in the future got just absolutely insane contracts. Like, my setter went to Modena in his first year playing under Bruno. Like, just absurd. Um, so I was just like, screw you. I don't want – you're not a problem. right? You're not a part of my process. I don't even want to see you. I don't want to talk. Like, it was just a very tough moment in my life. Um, so at the time uh, – we had a statistician from Germany. Um, it was just—he's a wizard. He's a wizard behind the stats, and uh, he wanted to go try the coaching scene and got a coaching job in Durin in, in Germany. And we were good buddies, so he's just like, "Dude, you want a job?" And I was like, "Yeah, that sounds awesome." Um, but I mean, Germany. Like, and sorry to, to kind of repeat, I tried to go get a contract as an opposite, and they're like, "No, you're too small." Like, no one would even look at me at, at 6'6". And they're like, no, no, no chance. I was like, holy shit, like, that's pretty gnarly. So I had to switch to playing outside. So, like I said, if I would have listened to these guys and listened to people that were looking out for me, yeah, they probably would have been like, you need to go to the FTC. You need to learn how to pass before you go playing professional again. Because, I mean, I passed in high school. I was, passing is my passion. Um, but when you don't do it for four years and the ball is going 30 miles an hour faster, like, it's just... Obviously, you kind of know where I'm going with this. So in Germany, I, I didn't, I didn't play like at all. Didn't play like I played a couple sets that didn't even matter. Um, so the professional scene is if you you need footage against the top teams in your club to go to the next level, and I didn't have any of that. So it was kind of a no brainer at that point. Then I'm like, yeah, I got to go to the FTC. Or no, sorry, <laughs> there was an offer. Uh, to go play in Lebanon for 150k, <laughs> uh, which well, probably would have if I went there, maybe would have got 20 of it. But yeah, it was 150, and my parents were talking to me, and it was so it was FTC or Lebanon in Kuwait, and so I obviously made the right decision or the smart decision to go to the FTC after that. Now, was there any hard feelings about going to FTC? Like, obviously, this was a career decision, a business decision. But uh, I've heard and just learned through doing the show that sometimes when you're an NCAA guy, uh, that era of the national team wasn't welcoming. I think it was it was really important to go to the CIS and then go to the national team. And you even touched on it where you missed a JNT tryout because you were an NCAA guy, right? So were you hesitant at all about being labeled as a Hawaii guy? Or were you welcome with open arms and ready to be a professional through like the, the FTC system? Yeah, not gonna lie, a little bit salty. Not that, not that I had to go there, but just like, even with Steve, like Volleyball Canada never gave Steve a chance to kind of do anything. Not that he like should have been in the program, and Steve is still like a phenomenal player. Like he, he can't pass a, a bowling or a beach ball, but he's <laughs> like he's got a really wild arm. Like he should have at least been on a B team at some point or whatever. So I, I had the feeling like, yeah, they're like salty that it kind of left and. 
like I was like kind of unsure because I, I had to apply for it. I didn't even get it. So I was like, oh, they're, they're not even going to let me play. Like they're going to be like, no, we're going to give it to somebody else that wants to play or play here. So then when I got a, I got a text message from Dan, from Dan Lewis actually. And that guy is like my idol. Like uh, that guy has just been a role model of mine for so long. And he messaged me. He's like, why, why are you, what's, what's going on? Why are you coming here? And we had a conversation. And then after that, I don't know. Oh, I don't, I don't even think I knew that Dan was even a part of it. I think that might've been his first year with the program. And so once I heard that he was there, I was like, John, I don't even care. I like want, I wanted to go back to FTC because Dan was there. Like I would have been happy doing another year there if I could have. But uh, yeah. So once I figured out that, and then the group of guys that were going like with like Sharon and uh, Josh McKay and Jordan Orr, um, and all these other guys are Jesse Elser, like all these guys that I was like, oh my God, this is going to be so much fun. Like this is going to be a great, great environment to go, to go play and compete and get better. So once I kind of got over it, not that I was really into it or whatever, but I was, once I got that acceptance letter, I was like, let's go. I'm, just, I'm, I'm all in. Let's do this. Yeah, I'm glad you, you approached it that way. And you were excited to be around these young guys because uh, our loyal listeners, if they go way back into the archives, we had Jesse Elser on the show when he was quite young. And I think a lot of our listeners would remember he did his grade 12 year at FTC and he credits you a lot uh, for even just showing him how to cook dinner because he was just a puppy, right? Like he went there, he skipped a semester of grade 12 to go there and then he went to Trinity after, which wasn't the normal route there, right? So were you just comfortable to be around somebody who's energetic and young? Maybe he reminded you of yourself a little bit. Like why? Where is it so important for you to be like, all right, like this guy can come over for dinner tonight. Like I, I want to be around this 17, 18 year old. Like, Oh my God. No, I, I, I think about Jesse all the time still to this day. Like that guy and his whole family are just such beautiful souls. And me and Jesse, it was like almost like love at first sight. He was like around each other. He knew who I was. I knew I was kind of familiar with his dad a little bit. We had some sort of like a little bit of family connection. Um, but yeah, as soon as I was around this kid, I was like, this is awesome. It's a little mini me with a little bit more, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? A little bit more like polite, I guess. I don't <laughs> know. Like, I'm pretty out there. I'm like, I, I kind of say what I want and sometimes it rubs off in the wrong way. And Jesse's just like such a beautiful soul. And like that kid is, I, I don't know if I would have had the same experience if it wasn't for him. So as much as it seems like I helped him, he helped me just as much. Wow, that's that's so cool to hear. So you do your year of FTC, and then you end up uh, you, you go to Estonia, France, and Cyprus. And, and I noticed in your career, sometimes you play with a Canadian, sometimes you don't. Like when you're playing pro, was it helpful when you had Rudy and Blair on the team the first year? And I, and I know you and Bruno Lordi are good buddies, but like when you're playing in Estonia and you don't know anyone from home, like how do you get comfortable in those situations? Because uh, obviously. You, you go to a program like Hawaii, so you're playing a lot of volleyball and you're lifting, you know how to be a pro, but now you're in Estonia and you take out the class component and you just have so much more free time, right? Yeah. Honestly, having that foreigner with you or having that buddy is a game changer. Like it, it really is a difference between kind of making it mentally or not. Like it, it volleyball overseas on paper seems like such a wicked thing to do and it's like oh it's amazing but honestly it's not it is a struggle it is dealing with eastern europeans that see you as a dollar sign or as a stat line and there's no like teamness there's no like talking to you as 
a person and like in Hawaii, like we are Canada or whatever, we have like all these different kinds of coaches that are there and like, we'll sit down with you and talk you through like They're almost like mental health coaches as long or as well as being coaches. And over there, it's like, like in France, like I got told I was disrespect to Canada because we lost a game. And so bringing up Bruno, we're in a meeting, we lost a game. And, um, whatever people lose, but like in France, I was still a top three player in the country. And uh, we get home. I think it was one of our first or second losses. It was early on in the season. So our, our, our coach and our president is there and they're talking in French. And, and Bruno is uh, my, my, my translator. And he's just sitting there and he's just like, he's just doing one of those, his body language. I'm like, Bruno, what's going on? He goes, I'm not telling you until we get home. And I was like, what? He goes, you, will, you might fight these guys right now. I was like, oh, it's like that. And he's like, yeah. So we get home and he goes, yeah, they told you you can go home whenever you want. You're a disrespect to Canada. You're a little shit and all these things. And I'm, I was like the top points or whatever. It doesn't really matter how I did, but just, just the, the communication is just brutal. Like it was just so bad and it's not uncommon. Like I have so many different stories about this guy and that guy. I mean, it usually is got France in it. Like I don't know many people that have had very good experiences in France, but um, like coming back to yeah, having that guy, like having Bruno there, having uh, even like Curtis Stockton when I was in in Estonia, uh, it was it was a game changer. In in Cyprus, I didn't have anyone, but Cyprus is like a, a third world Hawaii, so it's, there's a lot more distractions over there. Now, with, with the timing of that, uh, obviously COVID interrupted everything. Was that just the, the right time for you to kind of look and say, you know what, I, I did the professional volleyball thing. Now I want to go be a good husband. I want to go pursue some other interests. Like it, COVID obviously interrupted your career. But when you look back, you were kind of like, yeah, it, it was time. I gave it a shot. I had a great experience. I, I still love the sport, but uh, I want to do some other things. Yeah. Uh, so another blessing in disguise, because I don't think... I would have stopped until like, I don't know. It's not like me, my wife or or I've ever had hard times. Like we made it work, but I think it, the only thing that would have taken me out of it, if she gave me like the ultimatum, like, it's like, I, so I kind of see it as a little bit of a blessing, but still I'm just like, so eager to play and go and do it again. But at the same time, like as soon as I get on track of, like my mental health and just like how I was over there. I'm like, why? You're like you're in paradise with your wife, still playing, coaching volleyball, like still playing once in a while. Like you got the best of everything. Why would you? But just like the thing that that I miss the most is just the teamness, like the the, the boys and like going around and, and like battling and learning how people tick and how you can like it's almost like a like a puzzle. In a sense and then once you complete that puzzle it's like you're bonded for life you have now have those friends forever and it's not easy in the beginning and you make it work it's just like these building these relationships with or with the team and the coach and this this is the traveling all that kind of stuff is what i really miss the most and um but yeah i think i think it was time like i, I went and did it i wasn't getting it wasn't like i was getting paid like here i'll uh what do, you, what do you think I was making uh, per hour, like with practices, games, everything, like per hour? What do you think I was making? Oh gosh, I, I would hope like and I, can, 
I'm on the lower spectrum, so don't like no no amount like you can you, like you're not gonna hurt my feelings if you say something ridiculous. Like to play in France, would you not be making like at least forty thousand for the season? <laughs> no, I think in France it was uh, my contract was twenty three. Now, would the the optimists, if we wanted to be positive, did that? Did they give you like an accommodation? Did they pay for like a car? Like, wh- did you have many expenses or? Oh no, no, no expenses. But let's just so I calculated. I, I did like a rough estimate of just my whole career, all everything that I made, and tried to put it to a dollar amount, and that uh, came down to around five dollars an hour. Wow. Well, I would. I've never would have guessed that. And obviously, like a player of your statue or and everything you've accomplished, it's just interesting that it's it comes down to that much dollars and cents right like that's pretty shocking and like i said like i was on i was probably i mean i I would say probably like middle of the pack middle lower a little bit of like in terms of like the competitiveness like yeah okay germany that's a top league like skill wise i was in that area like i played against and beat up on the best players in the world like like I beat up on Mike Christensen and Taylor Sander and all these guys. And those guys are getting paid my whole career salary in one day. Um, so it's a little bit of like your opportunity. Like I said, that's why I said that I, I regretted not letting my, my uh, Milan help me out with, uh, with my career because I go have one good season in Italy. But now I'm, now I'm on my upper level and now I'm making those 60 to a hundred, whatever thousand dollars. And then it's, then it's a different story. Now it's like, Hey, I am making money. Like I can like start planning a life and this and that. But when you're making $5 an hour, it's like, I am like searching for money. Like I'm like on coupons and this and that. It's not the same kind of uh, situation when you're making yeah, like a thousand dollars a day or whatever Micah's making right now. So when you look back and obviously like you're enjoying coaching, did you know you would get into coaching right away? Cause just listening to you talk through this interview, like the way you, you don't just talk about technical tactical, you're talking about like, how do you celebrate for a teammate? How are you genuine? What's your energy style? What's your playing style? Like, it seems like you've really gone down the rabbit hole and you're coaching like the, the person, not just the athlete. So did you know, as soon as you stopped playing that you wanted to coach or is this just something that like you got switched on to yeah. right so away? I think I got put on this planet to, coach fault. It wasn't to play. And uh, to me, my whole life has kind of been like uh, just an ongoing learning experience about what works and what doesn't and just trying to play more to see what different coaches do. Um, so yeah, like I, I think I had my, I started coaching my first team when I was in my grade 11 year. I think I coached a, 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 um, a, a JV intermediate team or something and just like fell in love with it. So I've been coaching forever and I love it because it's just, it takes like all the qualities I have as a, as a, as a person, like compassionate, really intense, um, passionate, like it, it just works with the coaching. And like, I'm very willing to go the extra distance to figure out what is going on with, uh, one of my teammates or now it's with one of my kids. Like, I'm not afraid to have conversations where you talk about feelings and you talk about what motivates you or this and that. Or So I've always been like a really supportive teammate. And now that I'm a, as a coach, like to me, this is what doesn't separate me. Like I'm not competing with other coaches, but like, this is why I believe that this is my job to do on this planet is to go and change the path directions of certain kids to maybe love the sport more or, 
to get interested in the sport or to just gain confidence. Like my favorite thing in the world is when I coach on Saturdays and we coach, it's called the JVL, the junior volleyball league. And it goes from ages uh, six to I think the oldest ones are like 12 and watching a kid serve a ball over the net when they have no business, they've never done it before. And just the look on their face and looking at me and that trust that was just built because I taught them something is unexplainable. Like, it's just so cool to see someone that maybe is maybe just even struggling with their own confidence. And they're not like the super uh, outgoing little kid. That's like, yeah, I can do this or whatever. And they're kind of in the corner and they're like, no, I don't want to do that. And I'm like, no, come here. I'm going to teach something. And then they're like, Whoa, wow, I can do that. Like to me, that's the most beautiful thing that I've done on this planet and will continue to do. Like, so yeah, like the question was if I've been kind of wanting to coach for a long time and yeah, that's, that's been the the plan since like day one. Yeah. That's so cool, man. I'm just looking at the clock and I've taken a lot of your time, but uh, one thing we like to do is the closer is just to tell a funny or unique story where you've obviously invested your whole life into volleyball, but hoping that something funny or unique happened along the way that you can just give us a laugh before we let you go. Yeah. So uh, I I was saying I was going to tell about France, but I didn't get to this other story. And the story is about when I almost got in a fist fight with Micah Christensen. (laughs) So it's funny because I just got sent uh, a link to, you know, the, I'm, I'm assuming, you know, the out of system boys. Yeah. Um, so they did a podcast uh, with Micah and it was talking about how Micah going back uh, and playing UH and his, his relationship with uh, the UH guys was obviously being from here. And he goes, you know what? I hated them. I did not like those guys. All my confrontations that I ever had was, with Hawaii. And so there was one instance and it's, it's kind of a tough because when you li- uh, maybe you've even listened to the podcast, you know, which one I'm talking no, about. No, I haven't heard this one yet. Okay. So go listen to it and you'll hear his kind of side of the story, but in his side, it's not funny at all because they're talking, they're talking about like Hawaiian, like, um, like the culture and like how he felt like I disrespected him. But so I'll elaborate. So what happens is, um, we're playing at USC I think it's my, I'm pretty sure it's my senior year. And uh, we're playing big battle and growing up, like I was a massive shit talker. Like just something that I will not let my kids do in a second. Like as soon as they do it, it's like, you're out, you're out. But like, it was like, uh, it was like part of the game. It was almost like a skill that we had um, when we played. And uh, so during the game, I'm, I'm always talking. Always, like every play whatever whatever and the, so there's another kid on the court uh, on, on USC his name is uh, Madison McKibben and uh, he gets sold uh, subbed out of the game I'm like so long local boy but, like that's just like you know local boy is you're local here you can just say it whatever like it's not it's not, in, in no way you can say that in like a really offensive way um and Micah just comes up and he goes, what did, what did you say? And he's just staring at me. He's like, oh, you're done. You're done. And we just start going after it. Just start talking. And it got to the point, like, I was laughing. I was having a good time. And, like, it got to the point. He's like, my girlfriend will beat up your girlfriend. And I was like, okay, hey, let's go. Wow. I'm like, you're just, just you know, when you're talking, it, nothing really makes sense. But the emotions are gone. Um, so after the game, oh, sorry, we're up to zero. And then he just 
lights us up. Just like worst thing I could have ever done. And just crushes us. So we lose in five. And as we're shaking hands, I go, hey, Micah, you know, I, like that was a great game. That was so dumb by me. He goes, no, you better watch your back. You better not go to, he starts naming these beaches in Hawaii. I got uncles over there. You, you're done. You're done. I was like, whoa, what? And like comes under the net and like, you know, wobbles. as soon as someone goes under the net, you might as well be fighting. Like that's the closest you're really going to a fight. So everything was just like going off and I'm like just talking and laughing. I'm like, oh my God, you're so soft, this and that. And then, uh, so whatever, that was, to me, that was just like a standard thing. Like whatever, you talk shit, you lose, boom, everything's done. And then and one of our assistant coaches goes, um, you plan on living in Hawaii now? It's like, yeah, of course. He goes, well, you know, Micah's going to live there too. Yeah. It's like, okay. And he goes, do you think you want to burn that bridge with that kind of guy in that kind of culture and whatnot? And I was like, oh, no. So what are you suggesting? He goes, I suggest that maybe you text him and just kind of explain the scenario here. You have a Hawaiian wife. What if he goes and starts telling his friends or whatever that you're like a, like a racist towards Hawaiian like that's or Hawaiians that's obviously not what I want no that's not what anybody wants um so I messaged him and hey Micah and he just I mean he kind of just elaborates and goes off about how I mean it, it is uh, it totally makes sense to me now that like Hawaiians here they always struggle with like with their um with their uh authenticity I guess like because the whole history is kind of made everyone super irritated with like the, the average white dude. And that's what I was. And he took that as like me saying uh, uh, like a racial slur to him um, or to his teammate as he was going. So he pretty much took it as like the, the worst way. And obviously that's not what I meant. I would, I'm not like a hateful person. I'm just a, just a terrible shit talker. And uh, so that whatever happens and, messages me and kind of elaborates about how he's oh I was kind of been fighting with himself and other people about this and that and so um, I messaged him like dude that's I'm I'm sorry if you took it that way like I am absolutely did not mean it that way and uh, so he said he accepted my apology and kind of just um, um, told me how it was and so we kind of left it at that but um, that's kind of my funny story about how I almost fought the best setter on the planet <laughs> Well, man, this has been awesome. I, I was always a fan of your game, but just to hear the stories you have, your approach, your, your love for the community, your love for coaching, it was so cool to get you on the show and just hear your your version of everything, man. I, I really enjoyed this one, so thanks for making the time. No worries, man. I'm stoked to talk about it. If you ever want to do another one, I think I got through half of my stories. <laughs> Can't wait. <laughs>